This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is episode 109. That means next week it's going to be episode 110. How do I know that? That's how numbers work. But I also wanted to mention that because on episode 110, I'm going to be interacting with listener and reader feedback. So that is to say, if you listen to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast and you have a comment or an accusation or some sort of feedback to something I've said on the podcast in the last few weeks or really anytime in the back catalog of the podcast, feel free to let me know. Reach out, Matthew at castingacross.com or send me a DM on social media. And if it's good, I'll interact with it on the podcast. I'll interact with it regardless, but I'll interact with it on the podcast if it's if it's good if it makes the cut similarly if you read an article and i said something that offended you i mean uh, my monday article could potentially be offensive to people they might not like it they might think that it uh, strikes a blow against one of the core tenets of fly fishing so if you have a disagreement or you are going to reinforce what I've said, or you just have some other perspective, or you have something completely random, a question about using nymphs, a question about my time fishing in south-central Pennsylvania, um, my take on something in the fly fishing world, please let me know. It'd be great to hear from you. I feel like these last uh, maybe two, three weeks, it's been really quiet. Uh, People are still reading, people are still listening, but people aren't interacting. Um, I don't know why that is. I mean, it's not that big of a deal, but definitely reach out. Again, Matthew at castingacross.com is my email address, and uh, you can always reach me through all of my social media channels. And hey, also, thanks so much for leaving reviews and ratings on iTunes. I do appreciate it. I know it takes a second, but I know that that is a valuable second. I know that whenever an app asks me to leave a rating and a review, my first inclination is to say, eh, 
Does it really matter? And you know, for, for one of these really big companies that's putting out apps or putting out some sort of product online, it might not matter. But uh, for, for smaller uh, folks like myself, uh, it does. It puts the podcast in front of more eyes, which means it gets to go in front of more ears. And so if you do have a moment, I would appreciate you doing that. All right, so uh, feedback, ratings and reviews, and let's get into the podcast this week. 109, fly fishing stuff in the wintertime. I don't know if that's why I'm going to end up naming this podcast, but that's what we're talking about, what you should be doing if things slow down. Now, I kind of feel like a broken record when I say this, but I realize there's a lot of people that fish through the winter. I used to fish through the winter like nothing had changed. The only thing that changed was going from uh, wading sandals to waders and boots. That was the only thing in my life that changed when I was a little bit younger and a little bit uh, less uh, obligated to, to be at home. Uh, but m- the time I spent out on the water didn't change at all. Uh, I kind of appreciated not having to wake up so early and, and not having to stay out so late. Uh, it was a nice little reprieve, but that was really the only dip in my fly fishing season. The amount of days on the water stayed the same. It's just that because of it getting dark earlier, the amount of hours on the water diminished. So it still felt like I was kind of taking a break, that I wasn't spending as much time on the water as I normally would. Uh, But all that to say, and I know not everybody does that. I'm not doing it as much as I used to, and some people just don't want to be cold. Uh, maybe the fisheries that they live near are kind of seasonal and, and either because of the regulations locally or because of just the, the populations of fish, you're not going to be fishing throughout the wintertime. Certainly if you're fishing for a lot of warm water species, it really, really slows down. Or if things freeze over, I mean, you could be ice fishing, but that's not what we're talking about today. So what can you do to redeem the time? So there's some things that are obvious, you know, organize your gear. Uh, read a book, uh, watch fly fishing films. Uh, it stinks that it's not happening this year. Uh, and of course, you know, this is being recorded in December of 2020. So looking to January, February of 2021, a lot of the fly fishing shows, both the branded The Fly Fishing Show and some other regional shows have been called off. Probably a little bit of wisdom in that, uh, both from from a, a COVID perspective for people that really are are uh, you know concerned about that, but also from a financial perspective, if people aren't concerned about it, uh, it's not going to get the same sort of, of uh, impact as it would in, in normal years. So, uh, for a number of reasons, it's very unfortunate, but at the same time, it's the reality. So, but th- those are kind of the, the normal things that I would suggest to people. You know, uh, organize your gear, you do some reading, watch some films. Go to some events, whether they be fishing shows or you know TU things that might be put on in your area. So those are the normal things. I'm going to talk about a couple of different things. And the first one, I talk about as much as I talk about those things that I mentioned before, but it is so important and I believe in it because it, it creates a consistency in one of my messages, and that is to clean your fly line. Well, why do I say that that creates consistency in my messages? Because I always say, spend money on fly line. I think that an investment in fly line is one of the best investments you can make. And one of the reasons is, it's not a huge investment. The difference between a bottom of the line fly line and a top of the line fly line is $50. The difference between in the difference in the price between a bottom of the line and the top of the line fly rod is 
$1,000. So we're not talking about a huge investment, but I think both in the castability, which I'm still not sure if that's a word, but you know what I mean, how it casts, um, both at long distances and at short distances, depending on the taper, um, and its durability, and also its ability to shed debris, the more you spend on a good fly line, the better it's going to perform in all of those areas. So it makes you a better caster, it makes you a better fisher, and it prolongs the life of your gear if you take care of your fly line. So I would say that should be the first priority. Um, if you have lines that you, you use intermittently, and I have a lot of lines that I use intermittently. Um, I, I don't use them enough to warrant cleaning them on the regular, but I, I always try to pick a time when I can sit down and maybe fill up my bathtub with uh, you know a couple inches of, of warm water and some gentle dish soap and just put all of my fly lines in there one at a time uh, swish them around and then reel them back through a terry cloth or something like that to dry them off and then pull them back out onto a clean carpet that doesn't have lint that's been recently vacuumed and then run it through a pad with some line cleaner. I'm currently using Loon's uh, line cleaning products. I just I think that they don't leave a lot of residue but you can definitely feel a slickness on there so it's, it's a it, I, th I feel like it just restores the flying line to what it was like. So you know, I have some very, very inexpensive fly lines. I would say that they're like generic and they benefit from a good cleaning. I've also fishing probably some of the more expensive fly lines out there these days. It's Rio's new slick cast in their elite series. Um, and they definitely still receive benefits from being cleaned. Um, they have a lot of durability and and also they shed a lot of the junk very quickly uh, but at the same time I can tell when I've cleaned them so clean your fly line make a day of it throw on a podcast you probably are going to need a lot more than one 25 minute episode of casting across but find something else uh, do it in front of your tv but but do a, a good job and get your fly line clean trust me it's a great thing to invest you know 75 $85 on a really, really good fly line and have it last two or three seasons minimum because all you do is take care of it on a regular basis. So clean your fly line. The next thing is also kind of an organizational gear related thing that you can do, but it has to do with your fly boxes. If your fly boxes look like my fly boxes when it gets to November, uh, you need to sit down with them and pull a bunch of stuff out and just kind of assess where you are in life with your flies. So I don't even know how many fly boxes I have. It's not because I've got a bazillion flies. I mean, I, I feel like I don't have that many flies compared to a lot of folks that I fish with and people I see on social media, but I still have a lot of fly boxes because I want to have what I need and I like to have things organized in a very, very particular way. But just as is the nature with kind of everything stuff just doesn't get put back where it's supposed to go it goes into the dry box it gets kind of clipped in next to the streamer because you got a streamer that you pulled out from another box because you wanted to replace the dry with it or whatever uh, things get put on your brim of your hat and then they get left in your uh, dashboard of your car or they're in the trunk or they're just you know they're, they're all over the place by the end of the season and unless you are very diligent of moving things around during the year which I try to be at least every few weeks or every few you know, months to try to reorient things. It still isn't perfect. 
And another thing you do is you look at a fly and say, yeah, I'll fish this next time I'm out. And you very well may fish it, but you get to the end of the year and you realize I've got dozens of sandworms. worms. This one that's super chewed up, there's no sense in keeping this. If I can tie three more and not have to carry around this um, nasty one that's the threads all frayed and the, the, the worm itself is, is torn and kind of flopping around. So I say go through and I've even done this before, is I pulled all my flies out of a fly box and I go to put them back in and I do a quick cursory look at each one of them and say, you know what, this thing is awful. Uh, the hackle's all chewed up, the body's gone. Like, how, how have I been fishing with this thing? It's just got a thread body. Uh, there, there, there's no, no dubbing left on it at all. Um, you, you look at a fly, you might see a little bit of rust uh, on by the hook eye, or there's even just a little bit of tippet snipped on there, and you can you can go ahead and clip it real fast. Just little things like that, where you don't have to do with every fly box, but the fly boxes that you fix the most, and the fly boxes that you're constantly in and out of. So that's that's kind of the first half of it. But the second half of it is something that is totally different. Try to take inventory of the flies that you use the most. And you can do a couple things with this. If you are a new tire or you haven't tied before, this gives you a trajectory of what you should be tying in this off season. So as a kind of a 180 from what I was talking about, but just stick with me. So realize what you fished a lot of. It's like, oh my goodness, I started the year off with, with dozens and dozens of pheasant tails. And now I've got like two and they're both chewed up. Okay, learn how to tie pheasant tail nymphs. That's a great investment, and it's a very, very practical way to get your fly tying to, to kind of really uh, make a difference in, in your fishing. Um, that's what I do every season is I look at what I fished and say, you know what, I tie all these flies, I tie all, all those flies, but I fished these flies the most. Why am I not tying more of them, and which ones did I go to? So I go to the hare's ear nymphs that have a really, really big wing case, for example. I'm making that up. Or I, I fish the flashback hare's ears a lot. Why am I tying a lot of non-flashback hare's ear if I'm fishing the ones that have a little bit of sparkle on the back or a little bit of a translucent wing case? If I'm fishing those a lot, why would I be tying other ones? Uh, there's no sense in me tying a bunch of flies I'm not going to use. So just kind of make those assessments and then have your tying reflect that. Now that's second nature to people who tie all the time, but for a beginner or an intermediate fly tire, this is a great opportunity to kind of assess where you are. I'd say another thing that you can do, and this is something that I did this last year, and it has cut down on this end of season uh, work on my fly boxes, is make a couple of day boxes. A couple of boxes that you can take out and you know that you're going to only need the flies that are in this one box. So if you're fishing for trout, it's got your dries, your nymphs, your streamers, your terrestrials. And and it has all of your confidence flies. It has all the flies that you know that you will fish. So you've got that giant box of flies, and there might only be two or three patterns and two or three sizes with a couple of different weight variations that you're going to turn to time and time again. You get those flies out of that big streamer box and you put them in this box. You do the same thing with your dries, your nymphs, your terrestrials, your midges, 
and just pick an awesome box, a box that you're going to enjoy using, a box that you can organize. It's a box that's not going to smash the hackles of your uh, drives, and it's also not going to be losing your midges and causing your streamers to be on top of everything, but just find a good box. It's a good opportunity to go out and buy a new fly box, maybe, and, and make a couple of these. I have the same thing for saltwater. It's got a couple of clousers, a couple of poppers, a couple of deceivers, and that's it. Do I have dozens and dozens and dozens of saltwater flies? Absolutely. But do I take them out when I'm waiting, you know, 100 yards off of the beach? No, I don't need all those flies. I just need this one box of flies. As a security blanket, do I have my big box of flies back at the, the tent on the beach or, or in the back of the car? Of course. I'm not crazy. But I have that one little... Um, uh, wallet of flies that I take out with me into the water. And so it, that's a great end of season thing. Which flies did I use? I could tie more of those and save time and learn to be a better tire and make maybe some financial sense. Not right away, of course, but in the long run. Then also, what flies can I pack and be more diligent about taking out? So, so far, clean that line. Make a priority. If you're going to spend the money, which I suggest that you do, take care of that fly line. Secondly, look at your fly boxes. What do you got going on? Let's reassess. Let's take a time to get rid of some of those old flies. Oh, that's another thing. Take your razor blade. Um, those hooks are totally fine. Unless there's rust, uh, unless something's been bent, unless when you were crimping down that barb, you got a little bit overzealous, you know, those hooks are totally fine. So if that fly is unraveling, the thread's coming undone, um, you, what you could do if it's just the thread coming undone, go ahead and put a little bit of UV uh, epoxy, a resin, on, on that head of that fly, uh, zap with that light, cut off that tag end, and you're good to go. But if it's starting to come unraveled and it's a little chewed up and things are going a little bit sideways, then just take a razor blade to it and cut it off. And, you know, in the long run, it might be, it might feel like a lot of work to, to just get a hook, but hooks are not cheap, especially if they're good hooks. So don't hesitate to do that and just create a little grab bag, um, you know, a couple of cups, a cup of, of streamer hooks and nymph hooks and dry hooks as you go ahead and, and cut things off. Uh, I feel like for stuff like an egg pattern, there's never any reason why you should uh, throw away an egg hook or a scud hook. They're super strong. They're super durable. And even if that fly gets chewed on by a steelhead or gets drugged through the mud and just doesn't look the, the way it used to be, that is a very, very quick fix and you've got a, a hook that's probably close to brand new as long as you didn't put it away wet. Now I'm really debating 16 minutes in this podcast if I should go into another topic. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to split this podcast up into two different episodes, kind of what you can do in the winter, um, part one and part two. The first one is being inside. The second one is going to be inside, outside. Excuse me. So first one inside is what we talked about already. Second one is going to be outside. But I did want to talk about one more thing that you can do inside if you have the luxury of space. There's a very good chance that you don't have this in your own home. But if you are a member of a gym, if you have access to your kid's school, if you have a church building that you can get into or a big garage, cast. Why not? What do you got to lose? If you can, you know, extend that nine foot fly rod up, then go ahead and cast. If you got a pole building in the backyard, go ahead and cast. Just take a few minutes every week and get out there and goof around. Um, I've got a couple places where I can do it. And every once in a while I do it, it's cathartic. It's, it's uh, something I do, I'll have a podcast on or I'll just be thinking through something I've got going on in the day. Just string up the rod, make a few casts. I don't even necessarily work on accuracy or distance or form or technique. 
I just cast. And inevitably what happens is you start to think about your casting stroke. And you just maintain that muscle memory and maybe work on something. There's no reason not to. And as with so many of those other things, these non-fishing peripheral activities keep you plugged in with fly fishing and they keep you engaged and active both from a physical standpoint but also from also from a, a mental standpoint so find a place you can cast if you do want to make it like a practice and an active routine then go for it get a couple of hula hoops you know put a, a bottle on the back of a chair and try and knock it off or whatever you want to do you know if, if you want to go that route then absolutely do it if you, if you want to watch casting videos online and try to replicate what you see, then go for it. Of course, you're never going to have as much fun casting uh, on dry land as you are in water because you're not going to get that same response. So really for everything except for traditional overhand casting, you're not going to have the same sort of experience because you're not getting that resistance of the water for so many of the casts that involve the, the the your line being on the water as you make those casts but you can still do it so i guess you could say if you, if you had access to a pool maybe you could do it like that if you have the, that olympic sized swimming pool that you have access to that nobody's swimming in you can cast to and then of course it also have to have the space behind it for you to make those casts also so i'm not sure what situation that would be but if you've got it go for it but what i would also say is you do that, make sure you clean your line, whether it be the chlorine of a pool or just the dirt from a high school gym or something like that. Uh, definitely go ahead and give that line a cleaning after. Just a quick wipe down. It's not going to be picking up the same sort of debris and gunk that it will if it's in the water, but there's dust and there's all that, that stuff that's going to cling to that fly line, uh, especially if you've cleaned it and then you've done that. But cast. Get out and cast. Um, there's so many mechanics in a traditional, normal overhand uh, cast that then translate into some of the more um, complicated casts, I guess you could say, some of the more nuanced casts, specific casts, uh, because a lot of the uh, technique and form of an overhand cast is all about you getting that feel of when that line is loading your rod and unloading your rod and, and how you respond to that. So if you can get that feel down, then that puts you in the best position to make those more complicated casts and some of those more tricky casts. So there's nothing... I feel like the better you get at making a normal cast, the better you will be at making those abnormal casts. And, and you know you can work on all sorts of things the, the you know curve casts and uh, getting your line to do all sorts of funny things getting your 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 fly to um, present at a very low angle a very high angle all sorts of stuff like that but I'll kind of touch on this when we come back to this topic I'm, I'm, I'm part two of this particular uh, podcast series about things you can do in the winter even if you're not fishing so clean your line look at your fly boxes and then cast 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 this week on castingacross.com, two articles that I think you should read, and the first one may very well be something you disagree with. It's called Fly Fishers Are Different, and the whole kind of theory behind the article is that we're different because we don't kill fish. We're in the minority. Most people, when they think fishing, they think killing and probably eating, and fly fishers have made that mentality the other, the outgroup you look at things and we're kind of the weird ones the catch and release folk are the minority 
And so I just talk about that briefly, and that's something that I think they probably get a lot of interaction with. So if you haven't read that article, head over to castingacross.com. It was put out on Monday, December 7th. Um, quite a few people read it and uh, didn't get any hate mail yet, but I guess that's good. Hopefully I kind of explained why I was saying what I was saying. But I want you to read it, and if you have any thoughts, do let me know. And then Wednesday's article is called Writing Fly Fishing established 2001 so fun little thing happened i have uh, i mentioned this in the article very briefly but i have i have a lot of bookshelves i've got a bunch of bookshelves at my office and that's mostly my uh books that i, I have for work so it's it's uh, theology and history and, and that sort of stuff and then downstairs in my house in our living room we've got a bunch of the books for a kid's homeschool and that's where all of my really good fly fishing books are and then upstairs in the guest room uh, we've got a bunch of bookshelves. It's a bunch of our novels and a bunch of the kids' books that they've already like, burned through um, and uh, some of our old uh, textbooks from, from college and graduate school. But then also that's where all my second-tier fly fishing books are. And that's, I mean, I'm obviously I haven't written a fly fishing book, so I, I, I'm keeping a decent perspective with that. But they're just the books I'm, I'm not constantly turning to or they have an ugly spine, so they don't make it to the living room. But I was looking for something. I think it was an old back issue of Trout Magazine from Trout Unlimited. But what I found was an old composition book, and it was my fishing journal from 2001, which was a really kind of big year for me for a lot of reasons. And it was a little bit of a trip down memory lane. And I kind of wrote this article in real time as I was flipping through this old journal. So go ahead and read that. And I've also encouraged folks to go ahead and repeat what I did. I mean, I've been effectively journaling three times a week with Casting Across for the last five years. I really, really wish I would have been doing this for a long time before, if not for publication like I'm doing now, but uh, just for my own purposes. This week's recommendation on the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast is another one of the items that was on my holiday fly fishing gift guide. It is a target species kit from Risen Fly Fishing. So I've talked about Risen Fly Fishing before. One of, if not the best value in fly fishing gear, and the stuff is going to outperform its price tag uh all the time, I guarantee it. But the cool thing about these target species kits is that Ryan, the owner of Risen Fly Fishing, has put together everything that you or somebody on your list needs to go fishing. You literally buy this and you buy your license and you're good to go. So he has things for small stream trout, for trout, for nymphing for trout, for bass, for steelhead, and for salmon. Now they do range in price from $280 to $610, but $280 is actually a really, really good value for what you get. And his quote-unquote bottom end gear is awesome. The Genesis fly rod is a great little fly rod. I have a seven foot three weight and I have a nine foot five weight. And that seven foot three weight, I, I give it to my kids all the time. But when we go on a trip and we have and spaces at a premium, uh, and I bring maybe a heavier rod for myself. I don't feel like I need to stow away another short mountain trout rod because I will take that rod, that seven foot three weight that I've got them using for all sorts of stuff if I go out chasing trout because I love it. It's an awesome little rod. Plus, then you get uh, reel, line, backing, flies, leader, uh, all that sort of stuff. So definitely check that out. A target species kit from Risen Fly Fishing. I will put a link to Risen Fly Fishing's Target Species Kit page on the show notes of this 
podcast on castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Thank you.